Hey, what's up guys? It's Mark. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Bench Units and I'm appreciating your company because my days is it weird flying solo for the first time in the history of our podcast. I think this is the first time either of us have done it unless James has snuck one by without me knowing about it, which I wouldn't blame him to do because, as you know, my wild takes often make him feel like he's going to end up in trouble for something I have said, which is admittedly part of the fun of doing this from my end. Um, So yeah, I'm doing this on my own because James is out in Dubai right now. It's a couple of days away from the world's tipping off. Uh, He is obviously busy with team stuff and whatever and doesn't want to be occupying his time with sitting and talking a bunch of nonsense especially now they're in the business end of getting ready for the tournament I'm sure he doesn't want to be letting his every scouting thought out onto public record this late in the game uh, which I don't blame him for so yeah you're gonna get a lot of me rambling in this episode if that's a deal breaker for anybody I'll see if I can get like a voice clip of James saying maybe and then I can just like hit play on that in response to every minutes long rant I go on and then we can move on with our lives in each segment so yeah, Worlds is coming up, uh, opening ceremony is 9th of June, by the time this comes out it will be the 8th of June, so not long left to go. First games tip on the 10th, I believe, uh, Dubai time is 3 hours ahead of UK time, or 2 hours ahead of mainland Europe. If you're anywhere else in the world you'll have to do the maths for yourselves, because they're the only time zones I ever deal with frequently, so I'm not overly up on the hour gaps from place to place. Um, so yeah, we are going to be bringing you as much stuff as we can across the um, World Championships. As a few you might remember, I think the Bench Unit Substack page started um, around the Tokyo Paralympics because it was mainly an excuse for me to not be doing my real job at the time in the name of writing a load of stuff about basketball and you know, the games being on at midnight or whatever and having to sit and watch them. Um, but yeah, I think we'll potentially do that. We'll potentially do some short voice recordings. Uh, anyone who's checked our Instagram recently will see there is a co-host slot open uh, for at least one episode. I think the idea with that is we'll get through the group stage and then we'll want to do another episode to kind of talk about you know, the quarterfinals onwards and the knockouts and how the teams are looking and stuff. In between that, depending on how much time I have available, we might be looking at, like, a little daily 20-minute podcast. Um, just, like, wrapping up day-by-day results because me talking for 20 minutes is a lot less time-consuming as much as I did love doing the blog um, as those other tournaments were going on. That's super time-consuming and yeah it's probably not going to be a daily pursuit for me at this point now that I'm working a job I like and um, yeah have a seven month old who requires time and attention but I can probably sneak in a 20 20 minute recording session just here so I guess I'll get this joke out of the way so James what do you think okay cool yeah, so for anybody who is wondering how this is going to go down I'm probably going to put some like clickbaity controversial rubbish in the title and the description of this episode because I don't think at this point James even knows I'm recording this Um, so hopefully if he sees a load of controversial opinions spouted in something as obvious as the episode title he'll click into it and he'll see that it's actually just me rambling away Uh, if anyone is bored of this already after three plus minutes then I've got my listen anyway so I don't really mind Um, 
if it really is a deal breaker to just have me talking solo then all I ask is you check back in for at least one minute of any future episodes where it is just me on my own because yeah we check those v- listening numbers semi-regularly and it would be very hurtful if I was to see that just me talking on my own was substantially less appealing to the masses than mine and James's hearty back and forth okay so we are going to preview the world championships as I said I think we'll have a quick look at the women's competition first because I was thinking about how to kind of channel all this stuff and I think there is ultimately a limited amount I can talk about the women's game because as you guys know from regular roundup episodes we primarily follow the European leagues that they are predominantly um, partaken in by the male international players more so than anybody else so a lot of the women's players we do see we see in the context of playing in the men's game and while that gives us a good feel for players individual skill sets it doesn't necessarily tell us a great deal about whole um, international women's teams so the women's competition as it goes on uh, will be as much a learning experience for me as anything else because it's really the international women's competitions are the only times you get to see these collections of players in anything resembling what they look like internationally so quick look at women's competition group A Algeria, USA, Thailand Japan, Germany Netherlands so before we get to group B we'll have a quick dive into that Uh, Algeria, Thailand you guys aren't cracking the top four I regret to tell you Uh, if that turns out to be an incorrect take then I will hold my hands up and be wrong but I think there is a very clear top four and top four obviously go through to the quarterfinals in this setup so Netherlands get the benefit of the doubt as the best team in the tournament because they are the reigning Paralympic champions Um, USA obviously got bronze in Tokyo that was the last time we saw them and Germany and Japan I think aren't on the level of those medal winning teams from past tournaments but are not without their strong players and I don't think that Algeria or Thailand can pose a threat to either of those two Um, in the same way that I don't expect them to really punch up I think there's three very clear tiers in this tournament you could argue kind of three and a half tiers if you think the Netherlands earn the right of being in a tier on their own which is entirely fair enough if you believe that to be the case Uh, while we're on the Netherlands women amusing thing I meant to mention to James on one of our last episodes but I was at the BWB playoffs a couple of weeks back and um, bumped into Mariska who is obviously there with East London Phoenix of the BWB women's Premier League uh, sat, chatted to Mariska for a few minutes she was perfectly pleasant we had a good com- conversation and yeah I wandered away from that and I, I'm almost certain Mariska had no idea uh, that it was I feel like I'm doing the don't you know who I am thing but I think Mariska had no idea who she had been talking to which is funny to me because we've interviewed her before she's chatted to us solidly for an hour and I think she's a semi-regular listener um, so must hear my voice for like an hour an hour a week maybe um, so yeah that in and of itself that amused me no ill will towards the Netherlands and shout out to Mariska who's obviously just so damn swamped in wheelchair basketball media that 
I don't know, maybe she knew who I was and was completely and utterly unimpressed at meeting me in person, which would be completely justifiable. All right. Group B. Brazil, Canada, China, Australia, Spain, and Great Britain. So, I had a bit of a ponder of this group. Um, I think a couple of you guys might remember we spoke to Aaron Young going back to about December time last year, and we'd spoken to Katie Dandano recently before that. I had come round when Canada won the America's Cup that summer. I'd come round to the idea that Canada were potentially the team who was going to win the World Championships 2022 had it gone ahead and taken place when it was supposed to in November of last year. Um, based on the idea they were kind of riding a high with winning the America's Cup and then it was only like a very brief layoff before they got to go back to the international competition again which really worked in their advantage and it's I don't know if that momentum is going to carry this far it's been obviously probably just under a year since they or yeah just under a year I think it was August last year it was the America's Cup um, since they kind of hit that peak they were at Obviously, the two best players who I just name-dropped there have been absolutely crushing it in Europe the last couple of seasons. Uh, Juice with Ryan River Rhinos and helping them score some massive results and Katie Dandano on a fairly undermanned Porto Torres team picking up All-Star 5 at both a Champions Cup prelim and a Champions Cup quarterfinal round, which is certainly no small feat. Um... So yeah, I think Canada are looking lethal. I think it will all be a matter of how good their prep has been, which I can't really comment on up to this point. And I think on their day, they're as talented as anybody. The kind of litmus test for them in that group is going to be China, who got silver in Tokyo. China just played the most ground-into-dust style of basketball you could possibly imagine. And yeah, they... Didn't, I don't know if you would say they really pushed the Netherlands, but they certainly held the Netherlands to an uncomfortable game in that final there. Ultimately, the Netherlands muscled through on the kind of size and the fact that Mariska, who is, if you're playing a heavy switching defense that's pushing you out and pushing you out and forcing you to go one-on-one, -on -one, there's probably no better one-on-one -on -one threat in the women's game than either Mariska or Bo. Obviously, Canada have to staunch four fives of their own so there is every argument that they can leverage that same strategy but China don't have the setup of a traditionally successful wheelchair basketball team in the women's game but they've obviously proved themselves a couple of years ago now and they I guess if we'd say Netherlands have to be favourite in group A then you would say China maybe do for group B just because they have the historical success but I prefer the upside of Canada to China and also the Canadian players are much easier to get as podcast guests and I will continue to champion them for that exact reason. Uh, filling out the group, GB, obviously rough Tokyo run for them. Don't think this figures to get any better. I think they are pretty limited roster-wise. Obviously, Robin Love has retired recently. Uh, Amy Conroy is out with injury and will be um, getting some treatment on that, so won't be back until 
possibly Europeans, I think, but obviously not going to be back in the next couple of days before um, this tournament kicks off. Speaking of tying that all together, rough go of it in Tokyo for the GB women. Amy, um, me and her had a bet because she was convinced at the time that GB were going to prove everybody wrong at that tournament, and there was a bet that if GB were to finish lower than a certain seed, or it might have been if GB didn't win a medal, I don't know, she was going to get a tattoo of my choosing, and she has never followed through on that. So, yeah, uh, GB, younger group, still some established players in there. Uh, Helen Freeman's still there, so they, you know, still have a lot of ball handling, shooting capability in, in that resource, at least. Uh, should mention on the absences, Laurie Williams, who is Robin Love's partner, is obviously out after having had a baby recently, so congratulations to both of them. Um, yeah, rest of the GB roster they've got, obviously, Joy Hazelden is there. They've got guys, or girls, should I say, Charlie Moore is there, who's had, obviously, a great season. Go and check the episode out with Phil from a few weeks back if you want to hear about what role she's been playing. Uh, Soph Carrigal has won the uh, BWB Premier League with Manchester Revolution, so they've got pieces. I don't know if they have a natural hierarchy in this group in the way they did with their arrangements of bigs previously, and I think they are going to lack a little bit for... I don't think they lack for size. they got Lucy Robinson, who is, you know, up for battling with some of the bigs in the women's game. Ditto for Jade Atkin, but I think they probably missed the combination of size and mobility that Amy gave them. I don't think they've got anybody who replicates that, really. Um, and also, I think they miss Robin's shooting to some extent, so it's going to certainly be a different stylistic look for the women, if nothing else. Uh, rest of this group, Australia released their squad pretty recently. Um, they're kind of running it back with essentially the same group from Tokyo where they were similar to how I'd describe Japan just everything where they're tough enough to give some good teams a run I think they will probably squeeze the fourth spot over GB I would say um, that's going to be a one to watch I think we could probably pencil Brazil in to be last in that group and I think Spain are Probably a little bit above GB Australia in that third spot behind Canada and China, but I wouldn't be surprised if those kind of three to five spots juggled a little bit. Um, I think that's really a case of the teams finding their feet when they get out there because I think they're all pretty close in stature at this point. Um, as far as the tournaments go, I'm going to make my... My medals games prediction. I'm not going to do the finishing first, second, third, fourth, um, but I'm going to say who I think is going to be in the medals games when they come to. It. I think we are going to see Netherlands and Canada in the gold medal game for the women. Obviously, if Canada beat China, as I suggested, I think might be the case that helps them avoid the Netherlands until the final in the crossovers, and then I think we're going to see USA China in the bronze game. Um, if anyone is looking forward to me being drastically wrong, then bookmark this time on the podcast and feel free to hit me up in a couple of weeks' time when this is all flushed out. Okay, men's competition. So there was 12 teams in the women's we've just gone through. There are 16 teams in the men's competition at this point. 
there's four groups of four teams and I think a couple of people fed it back to me after we did the preview of the Easter tournament I think I came across a little bit pessimistic on the standard of um, the games there and the international game generally at the moment and I think that's probably fair I would say I think the quality has proven itself in the most recent couple of friendly tournaments that were in first one being in Cologne and second one in Yalova in Turkey Uh, I think the standard has proven to be better as teams have gotten more comfortable or you know they've kind of narrowed down from their 16 to their 12 and they're not running lineups that aren't really game relevant um that said I look at some of these groups and I my overwhelming feeling is it's a little bit of a shame some of the teams that aren't here for various reasons um obviously people might remember Turkey got knocked out of the qualification for this at the past Europeans because there was a COVID outbreak they suffered it first and they had to withdraw all their games and they finished last so they obviously can't qualify for Worlds on that front. Spain lost a game to France and should have been here so maybe I shouldn't say it's a shame they're not here because they had every honest right to earn the spot and didn't and then the other COVID-affected team was Japan out at the Asia Oceana qualifiers, which is a shame for those guys because they were coming off their Tokyo appearance where they finished second and I think shocked everybody. And this would have been a good opportunity to build on that considering they're running most of their guys back um, with the exception of Akira Toyoshima, who I think is retired now. But Japan have been playing as many friendlies as anybody. They went to both... Um, Cologne and Yalova for their friendlies which shout out to them because obviously they understand the importance of keeping their group playing together over summer even when there's not a a tournament for them to be necessarily ramping up for in the immediate future but yeah I think when you contrast those teams that aren't there and then you look each group's kind of got a a gimme team to some extent so group A's got the Arab Emirates group B has got Egypt and Thailand and then there's across C and D there is South Korea and Iraq so there's I don't think South Korea are necessarily as weak as those other teams I think they're the best of those five I just listed but this feels a little bit weak compared to the Hamburg World Championships which was what five years ago now and it kind of felt like there was just quality up and down the tournament with the exception of maybe I think Morocco were the African representative of that one and they were not up to it but yeah it very much feels like there's going to be a bottom end of this tournament that are almost going to be playing for supremacy amongst themselves outside of you know the wider tournament Um, and yeah it's just it feels like we could have had a do over somehow on the qualifications in the interest of getting the better teams out I understand that's not how this stuff works but that's how people want to watch it so let's look at groups uh, Australia, Italy, Brazil and Arab Emirates make up Group A um, Australia were in Belgium at the Easter tournament wasn't blown away by them they were one of those teams I talked about I think they have looked considerably better as they went up against the USA and Turkey and Japan out in Yalava 
they took a game off the USA in pretty convincing fashion a very very hot shooting game from Tom O'Neill Thorne who was very good with what Elunia needed of him but I don't know if I would have expected that to necessarily translate to him being on fire in a shooting capacity because he was only shooting the ball like somewhere five to eight times a game with Elunion. He came out firing in this game at the very least. Um, few of you might remember we had Australia GB in Tokyo and Tom scored something like 13 in the first quarter uh, with a couple of made threes. And yeah, he's obviously very capable of those hot streaks. And when he was firing and Sean Norris and Tristan Knowles were both, you know, shooting their usual kind of percentages. Australia looked pretty dangerous. Um, on the Australia front, I think I maybe underestimated them, but I think as I've watched a little bit more of them, I've grown to like some of their units a little bit more. Uh, they got the young guy, Ethan Laird, who they are rolling out as part of their three mids lineup. And the other change they've made to that three mids lineup is they're predominantly playing Tristan Knowles over Bill Latham which would seem a little bit counterintuitive because you would think if you were playing three mids you would want to have some like a true big out there and I think they will use Bill Latham in that capacity if they get up against say GB where Lee Manning is out there or Alex Haluski with Germany or guys like that but um, I think Tristan Knowles and his kind of steady hand and shooting the ball allows the mids to thrive a little bit more than trying to work around a slightly more static mismatch shooter or inside guy like Bill and yeah I think the other element of that is they actually start Bill along with or they did in yellow I shouldn't say they do it as if it's hard and fast the rules of the tournament but they started a 3-4s unit in Yalava with Bill, CJ Grogan and uh, Sean Russell who probably a few of the listeners won't know if you're not following the Australian league closely but yeah they go kind of old school Aussie 3-4s I thought CJ really gave them a bump we obviously had him on the podcast semi-recently and we talked about what his role in the Aussie men's team might be I was going to say his role in the rollers there but that sounds ridiculous might be um, I think CJ did a really good job of whatever unit he was in being able to kind of play somewhere between the roles of Sean Norris and Tristan and like counterbalance whichever one of those guys he might have been on the floor with at any given point and yeah, in that Biggs lineup, I thought he was a really good ball handling option to feed those other two guys who mainly want to play without the ball. Uh, interestingly, with that Aussie team, their three fours and two ones unit, they don't play Yannick. I'm not entirely sure what the thought process behind that is, um, but they play both Frank Pinder and Sam White. I think is the other guy's name. They roll those two guys out there. And yeah, they just play real old school, very structured Aussie basketball. And yeah, I think Frank Pinder looks like a good player, man. He's very deceptively quick. Uh, I don't think you would necessarily think he was that quick for how he sits, but yeah, he works hard for the bigs. He's finished fairly well from what I've seen. And I think that lineup maybe isn't going to roll out too often against the top teams in the league, but in the league, in the competition. But I think it's given them something to go to when 
that three threes unit sometimes gets a little bit unstructured. I've talked about Australia a lot here, but um, yeah, I've been impressed with what I've seen from them. Uh, moving on to the other teams in Group A, we'll knock these two off fairly quickly, but yeah, Brazil um, kind of moving on to the next stage in their life cycle as a team. They've long been held down by Leandro de Miranda and Marquinhos, I can't remember his surname, but the double amp who played for Cantu a few years ago. Um, I'm, this sounds like I'm picking a stereotypical Brazilian name, but I think his last name actually is Silva or Da Silva. So apologies if I've been insensitive on that one. Um, yeah, I think Brazil not going to have the upset potential they had a couple of years ago. I think if we look back at 2018, they were in that group with... I'm doing this off the top of my head, but they were in the group with Italy and... Turkey and Japan and those four just went round beating each other in a circle so yeah they maybe don't have that this year I don't know a lot about the guys that they've brought in but I think they're a pretty young team and certainly against Australia and even against Italy who've got some very established guys they are going to have they're going to have to score one of those games as an upset at the very least and handle business against UA to make the quarterfinals and that seems like a tall ask I think to be honest that would have been a tall ask even with their their veteran guys that we just mentioned um, in place but yeah they should have favourable odds against the UAE who are qualified as hosts Uh, I will be entirely honest I don't know a damn thing about Dubai or United Arab Emirates basketball I think this is a region of the world that's kind of still finding its feet obviously they qualify as host because there is there's the host element of it and there's also the um, host region gets extra teams added in here they get some get a spot they wouldn't typically get so that's how Iraq have ended up in here I believe but yeah UAE are probably going to finish bottom of this group and that's just the way it is man sometimes when you qualify as hosts you're there for the experience and all you can do is take it away and build on it for you know future iterations I think if Dubai is serious about wheelchair basketball you know there's there's certainly countries that probably have an equivalent amount of talent and don't have anywhere near the national infrastructure or financial backing to be able to make anything of it I think if they are serious about it and have some talented guys we're probably only a number of years out from them being at least a respectable team and a well-run program because you know that region of the world not short on cash to throw at these things so yeah group a i think is going to end up shaking out exactly as is so australia i think the best team in that i think italy is second best italy a little bit of a wild card um we just they don't have Marcos Tupanengo who missed the second half of the season uh, for Julian over so they are effectively entirely high pointers and a couple of lows and yeah their lows are good um, big Driss Said fan Ahmed Rarahi was obviously phenomenal at uh, Euro Cup 1 but yeah they just are gonna be very very rigid in what they can run and they can trot a couple of three fives out. I think they have three three fives this time, maybe. Um, 
and they can do that and usually most teams would do that to be able to get a two pointer on court instead of having to you know roll two ones out all the time but I don't even think they've got that option this time because yeah there's just not enough versatility in their units and even if they are if they've mastered going three big I think there's probably a reasonable argument that the Aussie three fours unit is better than what they can roll out anyway and if you're good at one thing and somebody else is good enough to beat you at your own game, you're probably in trouble. So I don't see a roadmap to Italy beating Australia, but I think they're probably head and shoulders above Brazil and UAE. Okay, Group B. So Egypt, not going to comment because I don't know anything about Egypt. Ditto Thailand. Uh, Germany and Canada is where it gets potentially interesting. So Germany, obviously, were at the tournament that was hosted in Cologne. They didn't look massively convincing at times, but they then scored an upset win over GB, uh, GB men. So they have often had flashes. I don't know if anybody listening remembers, but there was going back to the opening couple of games of Tokyo and I think they beat GB in the opening game and then they lost the USA by three and I mean Germany's game lives and dies with the ability of their premium guys making shots um, Haluski is obviously out there Tommy Bomer is the engine behind it Nico Dreimuller is kind of the X factor uh, I heard a little bit of commentary recently that Haluski doesn't step up for these these big games, and I personally don't buy that. I think Germany have been right there on a bunch of occasions and have lost to the better team. I certainly don't remember an individual game where Haluski's not been up to the task. Um, I think it's probably an element that he was gangbusters when he first came on the scene for Germany back in, what was it, 2015 maybe? And the, the world has kind of adapted to... It's not often somebody drops onto the international scene and is that impactful immediately so it's not often you see the kind of other teams in the world scramble to catch up and try and bring that guy back down to earth which I think has happened with Luski um, but he is you know in any given game he can be the best player out there and Germany I think the best team in this group that win over GB I think really showed their potential and some of the malleability of their different units even one thing that's interesting for them is they start the two threes unit with um, Tommy and Jens together along with Haluski, Jan Haller and whichever one pointer they're rolling out in a given matchup they have half a point to play with there and I think what tipped it for them I'm going to sound like I'm driving the Alex Buddha bandwagon again here but they went with Buddha in Jens's place and it kind of made them less of a kind of quick, hustling, frantic team and a little bit more methodical and yeah, man, when Buddha is your second big and gets to play off Haluski, who obviously commands a lot of defensive attention, especially when he's coming in mid quarter and you know, not there haven't been timeouts to account for what he's doing or whatever, I think he can do a decent bit of damage fairly quickly that was certainly the case against GB and I think he's still relatively new on the scene so I would imagine there'll be a couple of games throughout this tournament where he catches at least one team off guard um, so yeah very high on Germany I think they 
look potentially pretty dangerous. And the other team in this group is Canada, who I spoke about post-Easter tournament. I think they looked like they... Similar to what I said about Italy, they've got quite limited upside sounds um, overly harsh when you're talking about a team with Patrick Anderson involved, but they just don't have a lot of options to cycle through is kind of what it feels like they've got. They feel like the kind of team that if they can drag you down into a kind of gummed up, you know, we run a play, you run a play kind of game, then Pat might be able to carry them through, but I don't think either their offense or their defense is good enough in and of itself to carry them through a game. I think that's when we talk about Germany and we talk about that upset win they had over GB and I say they live and die by their shooting. Germany just shot themselves through that game. They did get good open looks. It's not like they were making ridiculous stuff, but their offense carried them more than their defense. And I don't think Canada has that unless Pat is going on an absolute heater, which is not outside the realms of possibility, but I think the thing with the Canadian teams has always been the rest of their guys have been good enough that you can't just sell out to stop Pat and let the rest of the guys try and beat you. Uh, I think that probably is the case with this Canadian team, unless they've got either Bo Hedges or Nick Gunshin really, really knocking down shots. And yeah, man, the... I pulled these rosters up before um, I jumped on the podcast just to do a little bit of reading out. And the thing you don't realize with Canada is the number of their guys who have rolled over from kind of their last great team, which was London 2012. And yeah, they've just got a lot of guys whose ages, you know, Pat's 43, Bo Hedges is 43. They got a bunch of guys in the mid to late 30s age-wise. And I don't think any of their young guys have popped in a way that they might have hoped would be the case. So you're potentially asking a lot of these older guys to be playing a lot of minutes. And I think we used to see this with Poland all the time, right? When Poland would be unstoppable through the group stage of a tournament and then it would get to the quarterfinal and they would be gassed because they'd been playing five guys 40 minutes unless one of them was in foul trouble and then they'd make a one-for-one sub. Um, So yeah, Canada, I think, easily have enough to take care of Egypt and Thailand and they have probably landed in in the best group for them. Do they have enough to take a game off Germany? Theoretically, yes. If they did, would they burn themselves out in the process and still have a tough game in the crossover? Almost definitely. Like, we talked about Italy just now. I say we talked about it. It's literally just me talking. Apologies. But we talked about Canada, um, you know, finishing top there. Italy are pretty limited. I don't even know that I would say I would 100% back Canada to beat Italy, even if they just played out of their skins to beat Germany. So I think Canada, at most, have one signature win in them, probably on the back of Panson, and I think once they've done that, it will be a case of them having emptied the clip. Okay, Group C. Interesting one. So, reigning European champions, the Netherlands, Argentina, who finished second at the Copa America last year. A little bit of a sneaky one, they actually almost won that game, which would have been pretty cool, but that was against 
a slightly compromised USA team compared to what we're seeing this time out, so maybe small asterisk for that one. South Korea and France make the rest of this group up. So, um, I think South Korea are probably the weakest team here. We saw them in Tokyo, and they've kind of got enough to push a team for a half, but they're one of these three big teams where it often feels like the drop-off between their three best players and their two low-pointers is too much to overcome. Um, we kind of talked... Munsterland have always been our example of this when we've talked about the weekend roundup episodes and we've looked at how these teams are laid out, but yeah, I just don't... I don't think South Korea necessarily have enough. It's a really tough look if you're a three-big team who doesn't have a go-to outside shooter... Um, I think the defences of kind of more points spread out teams is good enough now that if you've got a bruising 4 or 4-5 four, like De Jong Gim who you know can get 30 points a game if he can get to the basket I don't think that's really available to these teams um, if you're just looking to pummel your way inside with no real outside threat I mean the best three big team for ages was obviously Turkey with Chem and Gerbalak and Farid, but that was all possible because Gerbalak is drawing the defense way, way out, and South Korea don't have anybody to be doing that. So, yeah, I think they're going to struggle. Could they bully somebody like France into a sneaky win? Maybe. France are pretty small. Um, I was just looking at the France roster. I'm not hugely stoked about it. They kind of have some top-end talent in um, Alexi Ramonet is obviously there, Sofia Mewi, Nico Joancer. Uh Fan of those guys in varying capacities. They can't really roll any combo of those two out along with a supporting cast that I'm crazy about. They have slightly exasperated the issue by... They've got a big 2-5 in Remy Bale, and they've got a small 2-5 in Louis Hadouin. Luigi Macambo of Gran Canaria hasn't made the cut for whatever you know selection reason was given. I feel like they could have done with another 2-5 and made their points situation slightly less clunky. Um, and yeah, quite honestly, I don't know what they're going to run. I think we tend to see that the French team like pressing and doing all that stuff. They've got a couple more mids in Carlier and... Um, we've seen Ballade so they can potentially throw those guys out there and play a little bit of Lecanet style ball with Sofiane out there um, but yeah I feel like any four man combo that France is happy with is probably going to have at least you know a one pointer out there or I think Audrey Kyle is there 1-5 so he's a pretty safe bet but if they ever have to fill up you know, a one point rather than one five to play with. I think things will get a little bit dicey, and they'll will have a weak link out there. And yeah, I'm quite intrigued to see a Ramonet Juancer lineup and see what they can put around them. Um, off the top of my head, they can do something like, let's see, that's eight and a half, so they can go stick one of the two fives out there, or stick Safian out there, and then like a one and a one five or if they go with one of the two fives in Safian's place, they can put Jerome Duran in there as a two. Not mad about it. 
think the push and pull of the differences in Joancer and Ramone's games might be interesting to watch um, feels a little bit like I'm writing France off considering they beat Spain in the Euros last year I might have to go back and watch that game and kind of see what their units were all about uh, I don't remember off the top of my head because it feels like literally forever ago that that tournament took place um, yeah I think I wouldn't have necessarily picked them to beat Spain a year ago and they obviously over a year ago they obviously did but I don't see it with them going forward unless there's a lineup I'm missing or Luigi shot great in that Europeans unless they're confident that Hardwan can play his minutes and, and shoot the ball at a similar level which he is capable of doing but I just don't have a lot of like memory of him playing huge roles for the French team so maybe maybe they're happy that he's stepped up and he can kind of fulfill that role but yeah the missing out on Luigi thing just seems a little bit strange to me um, elsewhere in this group Argentina rolling it back with the same group for roughly the 78th straight international tournament so they'll be able to stick with their preferred starting five they've had basically since I've been watching wheelchair basketball which is Adolfo Badoon, Adrian Perez then Gustavo Villafanier Joel Gabas those two guys obviously from Bergamo and then they can swap in and swap out uh, Albera Steche or Maxi Ruggeri so that's a very competent uh, starting five as we saw at the America's Cup last year uh, Adolfo Badoon you know can orchestrate an offense with the best of them but I think they are potentially going to struggle against more mobile teams I think Perez is a really good player but I think as we we saw with Vidali this year he plays really well off an outside shooter that he can run the pick and roll game with I just feel like Badoon is not at the same level of mobility and consistency that Fabian Romo was for Vidalid and I think some of the more mobile teams and particularly in the Netherlands who they're going to have to battle in this group with all their mobile threes are potentially going to do everything they can to limit Badoon and that's potentially going to limit Perez's game who's maybe their most consistent finisher um, if Ruggeri steps up like he has done before or if Albert Steche is shooting well I think that takes that limits how much a team like the Netherlands or even France with some of their quicker guys how much attention they can pay to Badoon defensively the one thing I was trying to work out with Argentina is Matias Mendes has obviously come off a strong season with Leganes this year and I was hoping I can never remember what points he is because he gets junior point in um, the Spanish league because everybody gets junior point in the Spanish league but he's a three I was hoping they would be able to do something like um, Villafanier and Gabas out and run a mids lineup with let's say Mendes and Esteche in so that would be Badoon, Perez, Mendes, Esteche and Ruggeri that is half a point over which I was very sad to discover but yeah they're essentially Argentina are going to be playing majority six guys with a couple of subs here and there um, what Mendes' role is can he be an X factor? Yeah I think he can have like a hot shooting quarter but I think 
he's maybe not well rounded enough yet where he's going to come in and take over a game because um, I think the majority of his game is catching and shooting the ball on the weak side and I think teams at this level are prepared to sniff that out if he makes a few in a row so on to the Netherlands uh, they were another team who I've seen at both the Easter tournament and in Cologne they scored a win over GB which we'll get to That I think that result falls more on the GB side than it does on the Netherlands side uh, we'll get to that one in a minute when we talk about Group D but yeah I think the Netherlands are at the very least I think the Netherlands are convinced that they are in this tournament as real competitors I don't know how strongly I buy that um, I think they're a pretty good defensive team and a reasonably good transition offence have never been and haven't yet been given any reason to feel optimistic about their half-court offence going forward. And, yeah, I think they kind of scrounge points and make it work. They are very good in, like, delayed, didn't get an initial fast break, but kind of got a 5-on-4 or even a 5-on-5, but found, you know, the defence had gotten back but hadn't matched up. We can manufacture some points out of this. Um, They just don't have the depth or consistency in outside shooting especially now Mustafa hasn't really been on top form for like the last season or so so I don't really know what their ceiling is I think it's perfectly reasonable that they would top this group I also wouldn't be stunned if unless they're able to take Badoon out of it completely and nobody nobody else is making shots would not be stunned if they were to lose to Argentina, but I think the matchups for them against France mean that even if those two teams turn out to be closer in general talent level than I'd necessarily predicted here, I think the Netherlands are favoured in that matchup just due, due to their size. Um, whether the Netherlands go to their three big with Mendel and Ari and Matthias Bellas I wonder what that can do for them against maybe it doesn't matter too much in the pool stages but I wonder if that's a tool in the box that'll prove useful against any other teams Ari's probably one of their most consistent shooters I don't know if having him and two ones on the floor limits their ability to get up and down the floor a little bit which is probably their biggest offensive strength so I don't know if it's worth strengthening your half-court offense in that way if it damages how you primarily want to play offensively. So yeah, I think advancing from that group, I would have Netherlands and Argentina. Would I be stunned if France upset Argentina? Um, I find it a little hard to believe, but no, I think France on the back of a big Nico Joncet game or even Argentina might be a sneaky Ramonet matchup where Although Argentina roll out a good few mobile mids, I don't know if they if there is an obvious Alexi Ramone defensive candidate out there. So, yeah, I think France more likely to upset Argentina than the Netherlands. Could they sneak in second? Maybe. I would call Netherlands and Argentina to finish top two in some order. Okay, Group D, last one. So as was the case with Egypt and Thailand. I don't know enough about Iraq to comment on them. 
thought the same was true for Iran because they seem to just lose players at every international tournament but there's actually some good news in this one having just had a look at the team list so Ahmed Hadi Azar is suiting up for Iran again after a couple of tournaments not doing so same for Morteza Abidi of Fenerbahce and Mohamed Hassan Sayari who is also Fenerbahce and I think has actually been with the Iranian men's team for the long run even as the other guys have been dropping like flies he's there and I don't know how much anybody watches the Turkish league but my days that guy can shoot the ball Um, so Iran basically can roll those two guys out that's 11 points combined they've got a couple of solid twos and ones so I think they can roll those guys out but I think they're going to struggle depth wise because their other fours and threes drop off a cliff after those guys I just listed and yeah I mean obviously we saw Iran uh, in 2018 was kind of their bursting on the scene party when they had Morteza Ebrahimi in that lineup we just mentioned but I think probably one of the secrets of that team although they were very obviously capped because they played two ones all the time and it got exposed as soon as they played like the USA and Australia who had a spread of mobile guys um, the strength in numbers of their bigs was kind of a an advantage for them because they played Hadi Azar, Abidi and Ebrahimi and they also had Sayari and Moji Kamali coming off the bench at that point they certainly don't have anything like that now um that's not to say that Hadi Azar and Sayari can't win a couple of shootouts for them single-handedly, but I would feel much more optimistic about Iran being able to do such a thing in any other group, but the other two group teams in this group are the USA and GBU, I think are purpose-built to stop those kind of slow-chugging um, three big teams. But all that said... I think anyone outside of this group, Iran, is relatively capable. Maybe wipe Australia off there, but they're not going to bump into them, assuming the um, respective teams qualify for the quarterfinals. Honestly, wouldn't surprise me if Iran had a hot shooting run and finished ninth, so like the top possible spot post-quarterfinals. Um, but they are also, as we talked about with Canada, they might be a candidate to run out of gas at some point mid-tournament. So... USA GB um, the fact that these teams end up in the same group at seemingly every tournament is wild to me I don't know who or who makes this happen or why this happens or if it's random chance but I think interestingly you could have asked both of these teams pre-tournament if they considered the, themselves the favourites to win this one and I think both teams would give you a resounding yes I would say that sentiment is probably still true despite the fact that each team has taken a loss or two in their prep games Um, I obviously know GB pretty well just from being familiar with the games of all the players out there they went to the Easter tournament and looked gangbusters they just crushed everybody and I think the chemistry and the continuity of the group was pretty obvious uh, even with the new head coaches in Joey and Bill Johnson stepping in. And yeah, GB looked like they were certainly didn't have anything to worry about against any of those teams, but I think the rest of the world, as I alluded to, has ramped up into tournament mode a little bit more. Um, 
the USA released their squad list. I think me and James touched on it briefly, and certainly, I at no point thought the USA were in any way, you know, not to be reckoned with. But you watch them in this, um, yeah, of a competition they went to, and the number of options they have lineup wise, I think, is probably to their advantage more so than any other team's roster in the entire tournament. Um, they start the unit where they go Jorge Sanchez and Brian Bell as their two bigs. They then go Steve Serio and Jorge Salazar along with two two fives and a two. Uh, those two fives being Trayvon Jennifer and Jake Williams if that ups the ante at all. Um, sneaky third lineup of theirs I enjoyed, not third, they definitely had more than that, but sneaky lineup of theirs I did enjoy was Serio and Salazar out there, and then Fabian Romo and a two and a one. So, Romo, we obviously saw be the man for Vidalid for the majority of the season, but he was really out there as kind of a, a very purposeful catch and shoot weak side guy or run a secondary pick and roll with the newest one point of played quite a lot I think his name is Taylor and Jordan but he looked pretty solid and I think that kind of spread of size is something they've not had most recently especially since like Matt Scott and Josh Turek who are two very big three fives have retired but yeah Romo out there is kind of able to just capitalize on the space created by Serio um, I think is an interesting look I dare say he can get hot for a stretch and win them a game. But yeah, I think these two teams, USA and GB, will be fully expecting to see each other in the final again the same way um, that happened in 2018. I think, had you told me that it was a USA-GB final post-Easter tournament, I would have gone with GB as favourites for this. I quite honestly... I think having watched the Cologne tournament, I have more questions about the GB team than I expected to at this point, so close to the, to the World Championships, but I think the Netherlands game, they kind of stuck too long with what they thought should be working, and then when it wasn't working, they changed very late to running a different line they'd not really tried, and... I think that's the kind of thing you maybe expect to happen when you have a you know new coaches feeling the process out, but it's always been a thing that I've wished coaches would stay away from just because I think it's if you're that confident that a lineup change can make a difference for you, I think if you really believed in it you wouldn't have waited until the closing moments of the game to give it a crack. Um, and I think it's generally been the case for GB that they their starting unit that has been the same since the Hamburg world, which is Phil Pratt, Harry Brown, Simon Brown, Greg Wubb, and Lee Manning. They lent on that very heavily throughout their prep. Guys came in out. James was in there a good bit for the twos. Uh, Terry came in for Lee, kind of on off. Lee Fryer came in for Lee Manning a few times uh, to go kind of full press lineup, but I think we really didn't see. GB tinker with many other formulations outside of like one man one you know one for one subs and whatever so yeah we kind of went through that whole tournament and it was very few minutes for like um, Jim Palmer Ben Fox Martin Edwards didn't really play 
I think we're just potentially seeing them stick with the safe option a little bit, and I don't know if that's always going to be the way that things can go through the length of a tournament, especially as you're getting up against better and better teams and they've got more footage of you to fall back on. So, yeah, did GB have enough tools in the box, I think, is probably a valid question at this point. Um, Same could be said of the USA, but I think I've seen more from them in the prep tournaments to suggest they're slightly more comfortable with what their 12-man roster offers them rather than having a five-man security blanket of a unit. Um, so yeah, that all that said, we've kind of crossed off the various teams that my picks to go through to the quarterfinals are Australia and Italy from Group A, Germany and Canada from Group B, Netherlands and Argentina from Group C, and USA and GB from Group D. Um, I'm not going to jump too far ahead in terms of how those matchups will break down, but I think we're going to see USA GB in the final and I'm going to go Australia-Germany for the bronze game of the men's competition. I think those four teams are fairly clear-cut the best, but you know this is why we play the games, to stop idiots like me rambling for 57 minutes on my own. Oh, God, what is James going to think when he sees this? Okay, on that note, we're going to get out of here, and if you've stuck with me this entire time, thank you for listening. If you want to join me for an episode and you're a repeat listener and you know how we do things around here then shoot us a message on the bench units instagram let us know and yeah like honestly stoked to watch this tournament it feels like it's been in the works forever and i don't know i was really that excited about it until i started watching these prep tournaments and the more i've kind of absorbed it the more i'm like yeah let's let's get into this man it's gonna be gonna be awesome and yeah if you guys have listen to this and you want more of this let me know and we'll do some quick fire roundup podcasts kind of day by day or every couple of days or whatever the situation demands and if you think this has been awful and you don't think I should touch on this without James then also let me know I won't be offended and yeah if anyone wants to know anything or just generally chat hoops just hit me up on the Instagram and I'm happy to talk to anybody, especially with James being so busy. Right, that will be all. Peace out.